And there is no better place in all the world, uh, no safer place than in his presence as a member of his family. And so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the grace of God, which brought the likes of me and the likes of you into his family. You know, uh, the more I come to understand my sin, the more I'm amazed by the grace of God. That God in his mercy would bring me into his family. And I continue to be grateful for that. I want to thank God for that as well as uh, ask his blessing on our study in God's word here this morning. So let's do pray together. God, our Heavenly Father, we are amazed at your grace. We are amazed that you would take broken, hurting, wounded, wounding people like us. Sinners who wanted nothing to do with you for big portions in some cases of our lives. And bring them into your family and make them yours. And call them by your name. Uh, give them uh, the name of your son. Call them Christians, little Christs. Little people like Jesus. Father, we pray that you would, by your grace, continue to make us little people. Very much like Jesus, our Lord. And Father, we pray that our time in your word would be profitable for us that you would use your word to speak to us, to reveal to us and reflect to us um, where we're out of kilter, where we're out of plumb with, with your word and your holiness, and that it would encourage us uh, this morning. Father, we need encouragement this morning. We pray that we would find it in your word and with your people as we sing and worship together. Uh, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me just say a couple things. First of all, it is really good to be back with you in person, in the building, here at Chilcothy Bible Church. Amen? Okay. Nothing in my plans for this year ever included be out of the pulpit for three weeks in a row. Okay. That just did not enter my idea uh, I have not in 13 years ever been out of the pulpit three weeks in a row ever. And uh, so this was certainly not my uh, desire to be in quarantine for the last two weeks and uh, miss being around all of you and miss being with you. Um, it is evident to me that the Lord had other plans. And uh, this has been a weird year in so many ways, and that's just one of them. Uh, but... You know, I've been away from you far more than I wanted, and things are unsettled right now. And as I studied uh, Revelation this week to continue our study through that book, uh, I got actually halfway through the sermon writing. And uh, Revelation 9 uh, will wait. It is good. It is good for us. But it's all about how uh, it, the, the blowing of the fifth and sixth trumpet of judgment, which involves the unleashing of a demonic horde upon the earth. And I just, frankly, didn't have it within me to preach that my first Sunday back. And so I scrapped that, <laughs> and uh, I want to reset uh, 
where we are as a church. And, uh, you know, a lot of things, we've taken a lot of losses this year as people and as a church. There have been things that we have had to let go of that we treasure and enjoy. Uh, we have had to take some other things that we delight in and do them in new ways. And none of those adjustments have been all that fun. And let's be real honest. None of this is, 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 is like we want it to be. Uh, none of us are, are going, yay, pandemic, right? Um, and so I thought that what we might do this morning is uh, focus our attention on what it means to thrive during this time. To thrive in a pandemic. Now that may seem to you like a contradiction in terms. But I will assure you that the same God who empowered Saul and, uh, I mean, Paul and Silas to sing hymns in prison has a plan for us to thrive in these circumstances too. Amen? That we can uh, replace what we have uh, maybe been experiencing. Maybe some of you have been experiencing depression. Uh, I certainly know that uh, across our country uh, nationwide, that alcoholism and drug abuse is off the charts in the last six months because people are depressed. They're cut off from relationship with one another. They've had so many of the things that gave meaning and joy and purpose in their life canceled, and they're just discouraged. And it would be easy for a lot of us, with all that's going on in our world, to allow that same spirit to affect all of us. But my goal and your goal ought to be, how am I going to thrive in these circumstances? How am I going to allow God to transform my life in these circumstances so that my depression is replaced by joy, so that my stagnancy spiritually is replaced by tremendous growth, so that I come out of this as a person who is different and better than the person who went in? Because I think that's God's goal for us, that we would thrive in a pandemic. And if we're going to do that, we're going to need to look at God's word uh, about how we might thrive in these days, however long they last. Whatever comes down the pipe next, you know, I, I'm told that October has flying monkeys. OK, but whatever comes down the pipe next. Right. Whatever happens to us, God intends for us to experience an abundant life and to have it to the full. And I intend to grab hold of that. And I want to point us all in the direction of thriving in these circumstances. So I want to show you several passages. Uh, normally, I know we don't flip through the Bible, but we're going to flip through the Bible today and see some exciting things that God has for us in there about how to thrive in these circumstances. So the first thing we need to do is to lift our eyes from the challenges that we're experiencing and keep our eyes focused on the goal of the Christian life. What's the goal of the Christian life? It tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. This is the goal of the Christian life. Are you ready? It's exciting. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, 
from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That is the goal of the Christian life. If you want to put it in a sentence, it is this. Growing up in every way into Christ. In other words, that you would live up to your name, Christian. Christian is a what you what used to be a pejorative. We adopted it. Uh, they would they would see Christians and they'd make fun of them by saying, "There goes one of those little Christs, little Jesuses running around." And we said, yeah, "That's a good name for us. I'll I'll take that." And because that is the goal of our Christian life, that we would grow up into maturity in. Christ, that we would start to look like, act like, think like, speak like Jesus, that we would be transformed into Jesus. And the word, by the way, the word we there is instructive. It's there for a reason. It's because uh, a lot of people have a hard time getting their arms around this. In fact, I have a hard time getting my arms around this sometimes. We think of our sanctification, our growth into Christ-likeness as an individual project. That this is something that I do on my own and I kind of work at it by myself and that it's something that I kind of attain to as I struggle along through life. But every place that the Scripture talks about growing up, it talks about it in relational terms. Did you notice that? In other words, your sanctification is a collective project. My sanctification is a collective project. It is not possible to grow to maturity in an isolation from other believers. It's just not possible. It's not the way it's designed to work. In fact, what it says here is that as you live and act together, that you together grow to maturity in Christ together, that we as one body um, interact together. You know, you know, and that's what the illustration of the body in verse 16 is all about, right? What, what do you why do you have joints in your body? It's so that two parts of the body can work together to do something, right? Two parts of the body, when they come in close proximity to one another for in the closer relationship with each other, they form a joint so that the two that the two together can accomplish the task that your body wants you to accomplish, right? And the task is growing to maturity in Christ, and the task is serving together, and the task is growing up together and loving each other. And for that, you got to have close, working, functional relationship with each other. Uh, we're going to have to, uh, if we're going to, by the way, the opposite of these things is also true. That the lack of relationship, the lack of connection uh, leads to a spiritual life that is stunted and immature. Sometimes people say, well, you know, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, that's in some sense true. You can come to Christ apart from membership in a local assembly, but if you want to grow up, you've got to be in one. Why? Because your sanctification is a collective project and it's going to require relationships with other people. 
Because you know what I found out? I've been married now 24 years by the grace of God. <laughs> okay? We have been married 24 years, and, and, and believe it or not, she actually still likes me at the end of the day. I, I, that is really the grace of God. Okay? If you knew me as well as she knows me, you would, you would say amen right now. But in any case, um, what I found out was that when I was single, I thought I was like a mature, godly, unselfish dude. Some of you are laughing right now, and you know why, right? Because you had the same thought about yourself. You thought, you know, I got life pretty well wired. I'm a pretty good person. I, I get along well with other folks. It's fine. We're going to get married, and we're going to, you know, ride off into the sunset smooching, and it's going to be nothing but joy and bliss from here on out. And then you get married. And then as uh, I have told you before, we had our first fight in the parking lot, leaving the reception from our wedding. Why? Because I found out I'm not that unselfish. Amen? Not naturally, not normally, because what happens is, is that relationship reveals immaturity. Rubbing up in relationship against someone else reveals areas of sin you didn't know you had. And you don't have to get married to do that. Although, certainly marriage makes it very clear. And if it's not clear to you by then, have a couple of kids. And about 2.30 in the morning when that kid is squalling his guts out because he needs to be fed and changed, you will go, I'm not this unselfish. <laughs> you will look over at your spouse and you go, you'll go, can you handle that one please? Right? Why? Relationship reveals as things. And at its best, the church reveals to you as you're in relationship with other people where you need to grow up. And it also gives us an opportunity to practice six indispensable habits that you'll need to cultivate or continue cultivating as the case is for many of you, uh, six indispensable habits for your life you'll want to cultivate if you're going to thrive in this pandemic. Here's the first one. Repentant confession. Repentant confession. You know, there's no such thing as an unrepentant Christian. You could look it up. There's no such thing as an unrepentant Christian. You cannot both... Um, Refuse to acknowledge your sin and be a follower of Jesus. Because guess what happens? In order to be a follower of Jesus, what do you have to do? You have to admit that you need Jesus. Amen? I mean, is that obvious or what, right? I got to admit that I need Jesus, that I am a sinner whose sins rightly condemn him before God whose uh, sins left unrepented of and uncovered by the blood of Jesus are going to result in my just punishment in hell for eternity. And so we all admit that when we come to Christ. We go, yeah, that's true. And then we're sometimes shocked to find ourselves still sinful afterward, or other people for sure were really shocked when they're sinful still, Right? Have you noticed that? They were always so shocked to find sinners at church. 
like there's any other kind of people that are out there to find, right? We're still sinners. And so repentance is not something that just begins your Christian life. It's something that is continual in your Christian life. And so you've got to develop the habit of repentance. And repentance is about going the other direction from the way you were going. I was going wrong and I repented of that. I turned away from it. And that's important that we keep our, an understanding of what confession is. Confession is not simply admitting your sin. I grew up in a church where a lot of the people misunderstood this. And they felt like as long as you just admitted that what you did was sin to God, that you were that He was cool with it, and you didn't have to, and you didn't have to ever actually turn away from any of it. Because you just kind of went, "Yeah, God, that was sin. Uh, moving on." No. Real confession includes a commitment to turn away from that thing. Right. Um. It is desiring to turn and go in a new direction of obedience. And, and if, you, if, you, if you want a good example to follow, one of the greatest ones is Psalm 32. It's one of my favorite chapters in Psalms. Psalm 32 begins this way. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The one thing we don't want to do is admit our sin most of the time. But the one thing that we're afraid to do is the one thing that conveys God's blessing most to us. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Here's what happens if we hold on to it. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Have you all ever carried around to sin for a while? Like knowing that God wants you to repent of it, but you just keep hiding it and carrying it. Does it ever get heavy? Boy, does it get heavy. It gets heavy. It, in fact, sucks the life out of you. The picture here is of a plant that, you know, it hasn't rained in like six weeks, unlike here, where it has rained every day for it seems like six weeks. Um, that we have, you know, but, you know, if you, if you get that an idea of the plant that hasn't had water in a long time and it just, all the water goes out of it and it just starts to be dry and dry and the soil around it is dry and cracking. That's the picture of what carrying around sin you're not willing to turn loose of does to you. It sucks all the life out of you. But here's what happens when you confess. Verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. The word selah means, now think about that for a while. Chew on that for a second. That when I confessed my sin to the Lord, that all of a sudden I was forgiven. 
And you know what that's like? Water. Fresh water to a thirsty soul. Psalmist continues, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. In other words, you know, if you wait until the consequences begin to fall in your life over your sin, all the confessing of the world in the world is not going to undo some of that. The Lord will say, well, I'm going to let you learn on this one. He says, but you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. You know why we're reluctant to confess? I'll tell you why. It's because when we sin, we're ashamed and we feel guilty and so we want to hide. Going back all the way to our first parents, uh, when they sinned, what did they do? They made for themselves coverings for their shame and then they hid from God. Right? By the way, God is the hide-and-seek master, so it doesn't do any good. <laughs> he can see you wherever you go. <laughs> so it isn't, you know, it's like, it's like, I mean, trying to hide from God is like a three-year-old playing hide-and-seek, right? You know, three-year-olds always believe that if they have their eyes shut, that since they can't see you, you can't see them, right? I'm hiding. You know, we all have done this, right, with little kids, and it's so fun, Right? But when you do that with God, it's, it's equally foolish, right? God still sees you. You might as well admit and be cleansed of what you've done. Because here's what you find out, that when you go looking for a hiding place, the only safe one is with God. And He provides you a refuge and protection, even from the consequences of your sin as you run to He provides a refuge and protection. And by the way, we need to remember that confession is also not just an individual thing. Both Old and New Testament. When you confessed your sin, what did you have to do in the Old Testament? You had to go to the priest, offer sacrifice, and then you had to name your sin to the priest. I bet that was interesting, right? In order to receive forgiveness, you had to Name out loud your sin and confess. In the, in the New Testament, James says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. James 5.16. Why? Because here's what I found out, ladies and gentlemen, that my sin is never just something that affects me. It has ripples that go out from it. And so there's at least always one other person I need to confess to and also be forgiven from, right? Sin is a collective deal, and so then confession also sometimes needs to be a collective deal. Karen and I have not done everything right with our kids. Uh, if you're one of our kids, don't shout amen. Um, <laughs> but we haven't done everything right with our kids. But one thing I think we have done right is that when she and I mess up with them, and we do sometimes, 
sometimes we lose our temper, say things we shouldn't, that we can't take back, right? One thing we have done, made a habit of, in fact, is when we mess up, we go to them and we say, yeah, so I shouldn't have yelled. I shouldn't have lost my temper. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And they've always been very gracious with us. And always forgiven. That's a good thing. It's a good habit to be in. A repentant confession. Desire to turn away from sin. And to confess not only to God, but to those that you've wronged. Seek them out for confession and prayer too. Uh, the next habit here. Heartfelt worship. Uh, that's Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Which is a great verse. It says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now that's the introduction part. And, it, and then the rest of it explains how to do that. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then it says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs uh, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now what does that sound like? That sounds a lot like a worship service, doesn't it? How do I let the Word of Christ dwell in me richly? Well, I'm going to need other people because there's a one another aspect to this that we're teaching and admonishing one another with the Word so that we can have all wisdom in what we say to each other. And we're also singing together uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And there's also gratitude and thanksgiving expressed to God in that. And in other words, that as the word of Christ dwells in us, as Christ makes his home in our hearts, it expresses itself in worship with other people. Now, I have to tell you, I don't know if you've ever seen a tiger in a cage, but that's what I was like the last two weeks not being here. I was like, I got to get the church. It was terrible not being here with you, not being able to worship in person with you. But you know what filled me with joy? That I could do something. That I could, could, could by the miracle of technology that we have, I could sit in my living room with my family and we could sing along with you. That we could hear the Word of God from my buddy Scott, who did such a great job uh, preaching God's Word to us. And I could take it in, and I came out of that, and I was like, yes, this is what I needed all week. This is what I needed all week. I was missing that aspect of worship with my brothers and sisters. And we can't give that up. You know, we may have to make adaptations and substitutes here for a while, but we cannot sacrifice worship with one another. You know, you, you may have to take different forms, as it had to for me for a couple of weeks. But we need to worship. Because it's part of having the Word of Christ dwell in us and be expressed uh, out of us is worship with other believers. Got to do it. It's got to be part of our life if we're going to thrive in this time. 
and in any other time also. Uh, you're also going to need loving communities. And these two things are inextricably bound up with one another. Uh, and for this, you need to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. These are great verses. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, let me just be very clear what the scripture is here talking about when it's talking about a loving community. Uh, it is not talking about having a friendly place of, full of people to interact with uh, that are friendly toward one another. If that's all we were going for, you can get that at Rotary. Okay? Or, or a motorcycle club. Or any number of other kinds of civic and, uh, and hobby-related interests. Friendly people who will welcome you. That's not the goal of church. That's not the goal of being part of the body of Christ. The goal of being part of the body of Christ is all about how we treat one another in close relationship. In close relationship. That like a family, like a body, all the parts of your body are inseparable, right? Right? Or at least that's how we prefer to keep them, is undivided from one another, right? If we're missing a piece, that's a big deal. And it's close relationship. And this is what starts to characterize it. That you put away falsehood from your mouth. That not only means we don't lie to one another, it means we don't present ourselves different from who we are. You know, all of us came in today with a mask on and we're trying to limit the spread of this thing. And, you know, I don't know to what extent that helps or doesn't help or whatever. Okay, I'm doing it because the CDC says do it, right? But you know what? A lot of us came in with another kind of mask too. One that you can't see in the front of somebody's face. One where we're not really willing to be honest with one another. And so people come up to you and they say, so tell me how your life is. And you say what? I'm fine. And you know that on the way here you had a fight with your spouse. So you're not fine. In fact, your marriage has been struggling for a while. And nobody knows that because you've been lying to everybody every week. For years in some cases. Or 
yeah, you know, my, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. My finances are a mess, and, but I'm not going to let anybody know that, and I'm not going to get any help for that because I'm really just kind of trying not to be embarrassed. Or, you know, my, I'm in danger of losing my job, and I'm concerned about that, but I don't really want to tell anybody because that's my private business. And so I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. Authentic community means trusting one another enough to be who we are. Taking off the mask. Long after the medical masks go away, I want the other masks to go away too. Be truthful with one another and handle each other with care. Because, you know, the only, re only way people are going to be willing to be honest with one another is if these other things are also characteristic of who we are. That we're tender-hearted and forgiving one another and kind to one another. That we forgive each other as God in Christ forgave us. When we get ang if we get angry with one another, that we make peace quickly. Quickly. That we, that's the whole idea of don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's don't let this go on for months, years, weeks. Don't do that. Go quickly to your, to your offended party, brother or sister, and talk this out. Otherwise, what happens? Satan gets a foothold and he divides people. Divides people. You don't steal, you share. You don't tear down, you build up. By the way, who wouldn't want to be part of a community like this? Do you think this would be attractive? If all of a sudden you could, you could come to a place and be around people with whom you were totally safe and totally loved at the same time. That you could be totally transparent about what's really going on in your life and know that you're going to be totally loved and cared for. That's the idea. Not just that we'd be friendly, but that we'd be loving at a deep level with one another. And this is a habit we need to cultivate if we're going to thrive in a pandemic. The next one is... Uh, there's just three more here. Persistent prayer. You flip over a few pages in your Bible to Philippians. Chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. These are good verses to memorize. Especially now, you know, you turn on the news, which I, I again, don't recommend. But if you do, what you'll find is hurricanes, including in Iowa, of all places. Whoever knew that Iowa could have a hurricane? But they did. Uh, an inland hurricane that blew down storage buildings and crops and houses all across the fruited plain over there. There's forest fires, uh, there's floods, there's riots, there's robbery, there's murder, there's chaos, and there's daily a seemingly relentless increasing total from this virus. Another thousand yesterday, another thousand tomorrow. And 
we can therefore look at all those things and be very deeply anxious about all that's going on. What does the Word of God say? Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 6. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do you deal with anxiety? With prayer. How do I lay aside all of the things that weigh me down, all the things that stress me out, all the things that worry me and concern me and that, um, that fill the air with panic? I pray. I seek the Lord. And I lay all of that stuff, whatever that stuff is, before the Lord. And I say, it's in your hand. And I leave it there because he is, he is two things that are important for us to all remember. Trustworthy and powerful. He is good, he is trustworthy, and he is powerful. And so in other words, it's not just that he uh, has good intentions for us and good plans for us, but he is powerful and can bring things to a different end than where they are right now. And so I can relax. I can trust God. Because by the way, if the worst if the worst happens, then what's the worst thing that happened to me? That I would die, right? That I would die. Well then what happens after that? Well then I'm with Jesus. Okay. Well then carrying on, right? <laughs> because I can trust Jesus through my day because I've already trusted Jesus with the worst possible day, the day that I die, right? And so if I can trust him with that, I can trust him with these things too. And God is as good as his promise to the extent that we trust him with all of our anxieties. To that extent, we receive his peace. A habit of persistent prayer. And then the next one is devouring your Bible. Devouring your Bible. I'm going to start a study here in a few weeks. Um, uh, I think I'm going to get t-shirts made, in fact. Uh, and uh, I'm going to call the study carnivore. Okay? Because the scripture emphasizes... Being a meat eater. Someone who consumes God's word and takes it in. Okay, First Peter 2, 2 uh, gives us a, kind of the opposite end of that spectrum. And it says this. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Long for the pure spiritual milk. Any of y'all remember what it was like to have little infants? Okay, I remember we had four of them. Uh, in fact, we had four we had four kids before the, the oldest one turned five. And our house was a continual cacophony of squalling at various stages, right? And um and 
what I remember most about those years, and I don't remember very much about them, honestly, because I never slept in some of those years, right, is that those little monsters were hungry. They were hungry continually. And if you had an infant, especially a newborn infant, until they were about six or seven months old and you could get some solids into them, they were continually wanting mama and continually wanting to be fed, right? And they are rude enough that it doesn't matter that it is 2.15 and you were up an hour and a half ago to feed them, right? What are they doing? Yelling from the other room, Mama, come get me and feed me. Feed me now. Or like the plant in Little Shop of Horrors. Feed me, right? And they are continually hungry. Continually hungry, right? And Peter says that that is how our desire for the pure milk of God's Word is to be. That's what it's to be like. To be like an infant who cannot get fed enough. Who is never full of God's Word. And I, I, I want to confess to you, this is a habit that even I have had to cultivate. I'm a pastor. But I have to cultivate the habit of being hungry for God's Word. Because there are times when life gets busy and... and and I go, oh man, it's been two days since I read the Bible, right? And then it's almost like, oh, I have to get back into this. I have to discipline myself to get back into it. And then, but you know what? As I build the habit of reading God's Word every day, as I build the habit of reading God's Word every day, you know what I find? When I don't, I really miss it really miss it. And I go, oh man, I, I need to get my Bible out. I need to do my reading. I need to spend some time with God and His Word because I'm hungry. And the more you do it, the more hungry you become for it because the more you connect with God as you read. You know, Pastor Josh has been challenging the students to read through the whole Bible in two years. And he's laying out a plan for him to do that. And it's it's really pretty easy to read it in two years. In fact, if you're industrious, you can read it in a week, the whole Bible. Uh, you can read it in 72 hours, pulpit speed, out loud. 72 hours. You can do the whole thing. Okay. 15 minutes a day or less will get you through the whole Bible in a year. So about seven minutes a day will get you through in two years. But he told the students, and I think this is a good encouragement to them, he said, you know, the, the most boring time you'll ever spend in the Bible is the first time you read it. But then the next time you go through, you'll go, oh man, I missed all this stuff the first time. And then the next time you'll go through and you'll go, how did I miss this? Was this here the whole time? Are these verses in your Bible? Yes, they're in my Bible too. Well, how come I didn't see them the first time? Because every time you spend time in God's Word, is the Spirit of God makes every reading of it fresh. Even the familiar things are fresh if you come hungry to the text and are looking for what God will say to you. Cultivate this 
habit. And you can continue to cultivate it through, I mean, we, we provide you with opportunities to cultivate it too, not just on your own, but collectively. Do you know we have Sunday school here? It's not a secret, but like, do you know we have Sunday school here at nine o'clock? You can come and you can learn God's word. Your kids can come and we will help you with your kids to disciple them in God's word. It's exciting. We have Bible studies through the week. Did you know that? We do. We have Bible studies through the week. The women get together. There are some men who get together and study God's word. And as they study, they cultivate that hunger for the word. And it nourishes them. It changes their life. And if you join in with them, I guarantee you this, it will continue to change your life too. And you'll be thriving through the pandemic. Last thing, Jesus-like disciple-making. This is a habit of life. This is a way of living. This isn't just something that is a job that you take on and then let go of. This is a way of living life, of Jesus-like disciple-making. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 is a real short verse. It's one you ought to memorize because this is the direction of a Christian's life. It says this, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what Paul told the Corinthians to do. Hey, if you guys are looking for an example of how to live the Christian life, follow me as I follow Christ. Do what I do. And by the way, since we are all following Jesus, this is, guess what, our job too. To say to other people, follow me as I follow Christ. Now that's both an, an encouragement and an exhortation all in one, right? Because it's an exhortation to us because it's as I follow Christ. that I want to follow Christ and... As if I'm bringing other people along, it's going to reveal some things in me that they ought not imitate. Amen? But it's also an encouragement. Hey, come with me. We'll do it together. We'll follow Jesus together. And a continual exhortation to us all in the Scriptures is to live a life worthy of imitation as we imitate Christ, that we bring other people along. And we say, hey, walk with me. I'll bring you along. Are your finances a mess? Well, mine are less of a mess. I'll help you to show you how to follow Jesus with your money. Uh, are, is your marriage a mess? Well, I'll show you how God has worked in my marriage to bring you along to where we're following Jesus together with our marriages. Are you trying to figure out how to, how to live life with your kids and how to raise them to follow Jesus? Well, part of it is telling your kids, follow me as I follow Jesus and showing them with what you do, how to live the Christian life. And also getting other believers around you that, that, that can say to you, well, do what I did with my kids. As I follow Jesus, this is what we did. Here's some advice some, that you might investigate. And, and then you can follow them as they follow Jesus. And your kids follow you as you follow Jesus. And you can do this with your coworkers. Believe it or not, you can still do this in the United States of America. You can say to your coworker who uh, maybe doesn't even know Jesus, hey, you know, um, 
one of the greatest things in my life has been following Jesus. If you've ever curious about that, I'd love to sit down and talk with you. And then, and then as you have a conversation with them, and they go, well, I don't really know what following Jesus means. Can you explain it to me? Well, yeah, in fact, I can not only explain it to you, I can invite you into a relationship with me, and I'll show you what it means. You can do it with your neighbors. You can do it with family members. If you're a parent, you need to do it with your kids. It's your calling as their parent to say to your kids, follow me as I follow Jesus so that you can show them what it means to do that. And it's a habit of life. It's a pattern that you ought to integrate that you have to integrate if you're going to thrive through all the challenges and difficulties of life's circumstances. Can I make you a promise about these things? I'll make you a promise. I will promise you that if you keep your eyes on the goal of growing up to maturity in Christ, and if you begin to integrate these indispensable habits into your life, whatever circumstances come your way, Whatever they are, you'll be thriving. You'll be thriving. You know, when I was a young believer, one of the things I was most amazed by is Paul and Silas singing songs in prison. Beaten half to death, bloody, feet in the stocks, in a dungeon, and singing. How does that happen? This is how. Keep your eyes on the prize and cultivate these things in your life and you become the kind of person who is singing in the dungeon. This is how. And I choose joy. And I'm going to pursue that which brings me joy. And this is it. Amen? So I want to encourage you to also be a, uh, a pursuer of Christ, a pursuer of the joy that is found in following Him and to find these habits as you're focused on growing up to maturity in Christ part of your life. That you might have joy regardless of what happens. I don't know if there'll be flying monkeys next month or not. It's 2020. So, you know, who knows, right? But here's what I do know. That these things lead to joy. These things lead to a thriving life. So let's pursue those. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. We thank You for telling us in Your Word, making it very clear how to live a life that thrives how to have growth that overflows to other people, that changes us from the inside out, that transforms our relationships, that fills our heart with joy, that replaces our selfishness with sacrifice, that, that replaces our, uh, our greed and our lust and our pride with love and a willingness to serve one another. Father, I pray that our lives would reflect the fact that we belong to Christ and that we would uh, be looking always to the finish line. 
where we look like Jesus. Father, help us. We need your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.